It's Tuesday, November 29th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Stock Advisor Jason Moser and from Motley Fool Options. Once again, from the Great White North, Mr. Jim Gillies. <laughs> Hi, Chris. Good to see you yeah. again. Um, I'm assuming you're headed back up to Canada at some point. You assume correctly. I'm getting out out after here. the we'll show. I'm getting out, yeah. out and boot, as they say. All right. All right. All right. We've got uh, the latest on Facebook, but we're going to start with American Airlines. Shares down about 80% this morning as the company filed for bankruptcy. Uh, Jim, I'll start with you. Uh, a lot of pieces to this, but let's just start with the immediate one with American Airlines. W- what are sort of the next steps uh, in the process for the company? Obviously, they're, they're, they're going to keep flying, even though they're in bankruptcy. They are. <laughs> what, what happens next? I think a lot, a lot of uh, employees should probably get used to, shall we say, lower pay packages. They're going to ram through lower labor costs. Um, which is not good news if you're a pilot for them, and you might wish you'd settled earlier. Uh, I think that uh, it's it's really a competitive move, so they can get in line with uh, with their other compatriots. I think they're the number three carrier now, number yep. three American carrier. Yep. Uh, you know, everyone else has done it, so why not us too? And it's it's. I mean, they, to stay competitive, they pretty much have to do it. I was going to say, Jason. I mean, one one of the things that I was reading this morning is, I mean, this is the last of sort of the quote unquote legacy airlines mm-hmm. uh, to uh, stave off bankruptcy. Obviously, they, they couldn't stave it off forever. Um, what's your take? Yeah, I mean, I think the key word there is legacy. I mean, it's one of the last of the legacy airlines. And, you know, like it or not, I mean, one of the main reasons that things like this happen is, is due to legacy costs. I mean, you know, airlines just inherently are difficult to pull off. I mean, you have high costs in just planes, fuel costs, stuff like that. But these legacy costs just mount up over time. And, you know, I look back at their balance sheet. And if you go back to 1992, they had um, a, you know, obligation on the balance sheet for retirement benefits and other pension um, items that were about $1 billion in 1992. And now it's at $8 billion. Mm-hmm. So as time goes on and workers demand more and the plane you know, the, the airlines are making less, mm-hmm. that gap just continues to grow until it becomes to a point where it's just unmanageable. I mean, it can't not go bankrupt because they're never going to be able to cover yeah, those legacy well, costs. I mean, you know, and especially I mean, a low interest rate environment, too. What's, oh, your, pension yeah. oh, plan? What's your pension well, plan going to Well, that's just earn, it. You know? yeah, when the interest rates crash, I mean, that obligation just, just becomes that much worse. Yeah, so... Now, shares of American, obviously, down huge today. Uh, On the other hand, shares of Delta, United, and JetBlue all up today. Is that that because investors are looking at those airlines and thinking, okay, they're either going to have less competition or they're going to have greater ability to raise prices? I mean, is is that one of the ripple effects of all this? I think with uh, the competitive pressures of airlines, anyone who thinks that they're going to make more money in an airline by raising prices is probably dreaming. Uh, I mean, I think it's, it's very, I, this is more a move I look at this as, as AMR, American is going to just get leaner. But uh, it's, if they still are running kind of the same structure, I, I wonder if this isn't going to be repeated by several of these guys over the next decade is, you know, you kind of got serial bankruptcy or what have you. So yeah, that's scary because, I mean, if you look at, I mean, you go back to the period of time where like in, in the U.S. we had the three main automakers with Ford, GM and Chrysler. Mm-hmm. And essentially they controlled the entire automotive market in the United States. And, and it was majority GM. Essentially GM could call the shots and Ford and Chrysler would more or less have to walk in step with them in order to they all kind of work together to sort of stay in business. And if we have now the situation where we have three or four major airlines, as this suggests, that'll control anywhere from 70 to 80% of our market here, uh, it could certainly be detrimental for consumers. But again, I think, like Jim mentioned, it could just sort of perpetuate this cycle of seeing these airlines 
go bankrupt every 10 years because of just costs that are getting out of control. Yeah, it, it's it's so competitive and there's no there's no I mean and you haven't even mentioned the discount airlines as well too. So I mean well JetBlue I suppose, but you know Southwest and, and uh, in Canada we have WestJet and you know versus our legacy carrier Air Canada. I mean it, it's just you look at the big the big guys with all the unionized costs and stuff like that. You say I don't I don't understand how you can keep going on this one. What about uh, speaking as we were before about ripple effects? What about a company like Boeing, which recently announced a deal with American to sell 460 new planes uh, to the tune of 38 billion? Is that now gone for Boeing? Is it in limbo? What, you know, if you're if you're a Boeing shareholder, aren't you just a little bit nervous about the fact that that deal to some extent is going away? Yeah, I don't know that I'm nervous. I mean, you need planes to fly. So if it's not now, it's at some point. So, you know, planes are – they're going to need to be made. I mean, the technology is such they're making planes lighter and faster and more efficient. Uh, so those orders will be filled, you okay. know, whether it's today or whether it's next year. It, it, there may be delay there, but as a Boeing shareholder, I wouldn't, wouldn't be sweating something like this no. too much. Um, we have talked in this room before about Warren Buffett and his, his <laughs> famous um, disdain for uh, investing in airlines. Um, for investors who are looking at this space and thinking, you know, maybe there is an opportunity here, it, where does that opportunity exist? Is it with sort of the, the smaller regional carriers that you mentioned, Jim? To clarify, you're, you're forcing me to pick an airline? <laughs> I'm, yes. Because I'm going to... you got to pick one. Uh, if I've got to pick one, I'm probably uh, I'll I'll play the homer. Uh, I I would probably go with WestJet, which is the uh, the kind of the the Southwest Airlines of the Canadian market, uh, and they kind of it's low cost. Um, they you know they they standardize their fleet, um, you know, no union contracts and that sort of thing. So and that and that's you know that makes it attractive, but you know really attractive only in comparison to. The legacy American Airlines, <laughs> well, or or you know, or Air Canada, or United before they went through this process, or yep. or uh, or Delta, or what have you. So, Jason, what about yeah, you? Southwest, I'll, I'll tow the party line here and go with the Kardashian of airlines, right? <laughs> the, the uh, yes, yeah, so Southwest, we've we've recommended it twice in Stock Advisor, and it is it, it's it's you know seen better days up until this point, but. Uh, you know they are working this air train acquisition through. They are working on getting the contracts established with pilots and the workers. Uh, we have, you know, uh, there, it's reasonable to assume that they're going to see some um, significant increases in capital expenditures here over the next few years, uh, which could certainly, uh, you know, ding profitability. But I think that that's what the stock price is accounting for today. And uh, you know, if I was going to invest in airline, I think investing in Southwest today could could be rewarding in a few years. Wall Street Journal is reporting that Facebook is looking to raise as much as $10 billion in its IPO. The IPO is expected to take place uh, sometime in the second quarter of 2012. Jason, this would give Facebook a market cap of $100 billion. Sounds like a lot. <laughs> it actually is a lot. Yes, I mean, it is. I mean what, do you, what do you make of that? I, I think that's just an extremely optimistic picture of what Facebook really is. And so I dug a little bit deeper here to try to to compare Facebook with Google, because we know Google very well. We talk about it all the time. And they're two similar businesses in the sense that they're on the internet. Uh, but so if you look at <laughs> wow. Google, so Google's business is focused around four core segments in search, advertising, operating systems and platforms, and enterprise. Uh, Facebook's revenue essentially is based around advertising, mm-hmm. but to put numbers around it, Google makes about 96% of their of their revenues from advertising. Facebook makes about 90% of their revenues. Now, let's look at the revenues here. 
Uh, Google's most recent year revenue was almost $36 billion. Okay, Now, Google is a close to $200 billion company, about a $190 billion company. Mm-hmm. Now, Facebook's revenue was about – or is projected for this year to be about $4.3 billion, a significant difference there. Right. But – you know, the market is essentially implying here that Facebook's going to be worth about half as much as Google on this IPO. So when you look at the disparity there between just the top line revenue alone, you can see where I think the market's assuming that number one, Facebook is going to be able to to develop faster, to grow faster, to diversify their revenue streams faster. Um, I'm not convinced that that's the case. I know that these IPOs, especially with these these uh, you know dot com type IPOs. Yeah. They make a lot of people a lot of money quickly, and then you see the stock price start getting whacked. I mean, LinkedIn is a great example. You know, LinkedIn I think is not it's back below sixty now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Facebook, I'm convinced, is a company that is you know earth changing. But I would be looking to get in on this one well after the stock got dinged after the IPO. On some level, don't you think uh, Google is eager for Facebook to go public, if only so that. Facebook is then a public company and operating under the same rules with respect to you know the the SEC and that sort of thing as as Google is. I think that makes sense. I mean, it, it certainly it requires them to become more transparent, right? And you know, for Google, I think that's an advantage. Uh, for Facebook, you know, who knows what they're. Th- I mean, at this point, they've they've been relatively transparent. We can get you know a decent amount of information on the company, but but you know, there are no SEC filings that we can consult. So for Google, yeah, I think that would be a way to sort of even the playing field there. Um, stepping back from Facebook specifically, um, I'm just curious how you guys think about companies that are preparing to go public. And uh, and my question is, when do you feel like, as an investor, you know whether or not you want to invest in a company? Is it when they file their prospectus, when you know when they file the S one, and then you're able to to see the the books that they've opened up for the SEC? Is it when they've been public for a quarter or two, and they've you get to see how they operate as a public company? Jim, I'll start with you. Yeah, I, I want at least a couple quarters under of, of of public scrutiny, and I want to know what the lockup period is for insiders. I want to know how much they're IPOing. I mean, I think they're with the Facebook IPO. They're talking. Uh, maybe ten percent of the shares. I think about ten billion. It was talking about ten billion. Yeah, yeah. so ten percent of the shares. So okay, what's happening with the other ninety percent of those shares? Well, okay, at some point they're going to come on the market. Um, you know, boy, I don't want to be in the wave in in the way of a big wave of selling. So I want at least two quarters, ideally a year. Jason? Yeah, Jim mentioned a great point there. I agree with him totally. I want at least two quarters. Typically, I, you know, I, I don't mind waiting just a good year to kind of get a good understanding of the cycle of the business. Uh, but he mentioned the lockup period there. Typically, you see that lockup period where uh, the the insider holders of the company aren't allowed to sell any shares for the first six months, typically. Is what you see. It's yeah. in the 10K. You find that information. But you can't really get it until the filings. Uh, but then if you see significant insider holdings and that lockup period expires after six months, you could see some excessive selling. And that excessive selling puts a lot of pressure down on the stock price. Yeah, and I also want to see what is the structure of the IPO, or I want to see the structure of the company pre-IPO, because yep. there are uh, there is no shortage of companies that will load up their insiders. Not only, they'll load up the company with debt. I don't think Facebook's going to do this, but they'll load up the company with, with debt. They will load up their insiders with penny options. 
And so that makes it doubly hard for shareholders who are buying at the IPO in the secondary market to ever make anything of consequence. Well, and just to return to something that we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, with uh, our colleague Joe Mager, um, when he just railed on what he called the low-float IPO. Angry oh, Joe? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Angry Uncle Joe just went off, and rightfully so, frankly, on, yeah. on companies that just you know are, are going public, but they're only putting 5%, 10% of the company. Out there, and so you do end up seeing this sort of this first day pop, and and uh, and of course all of the insiders are rewarded. Um, but it's really it's just so dicey for individual investors when that's it, the case. It pains me to agree with Joe Mager. Not really, <laughs> yeah. not really I but, mean, you know. Google I think is that one example of an IPO that really took off and the stock price kept on going. But I I'd venture to guess that any of these IPOs that you you watch me give them a little time, the stock prices just start coming down, down, yep. down, and that's just a rule of thumb I live by. So you know. Uh, before we wrap up, uh, we got an email. We have the best listeners. We just yes, we, we do. We just have the best listeners, and we get the best emails. And so, uh, on yesterday's show, uh, when uh, Jim Gillies was here with Bill Mann, we talked about Black Friday, and and uh, got an email from uh, Dave in Ontario, Mississauga, uh, I believe. Miss- yes, <laughs> Mississauga, um, who wrote, uh, "You had a Canadian on the show. You asked him about a Black Friday equivalent in Canada." And he did not mention Boxing Day? (laughs) That's about as close as we get, although it's nowhere near as crazy as Black Friday in the U.S. And retailers here are starting to offer Black Friday deals to compete with the cross-border shoppers. That being said, our federal elections are pretty embarrassing, both in terms of quality and quantity. That, that, that was really what you highlighted as sort of the, Pretty much, the embarrassing yeah. equivalent. I, I, I will say, Dave in Mississauga, I'll be driving by your house tonight. Um, uh, <laughs> wait a minute, wait, right by his house? <laughs> yeah, I should be going by about 7.15. Um, but I will say, I have gone to Black Friday sales in Boston. I have gone to Boxing Day sales in Toronto. I feared for my life at one of them. It wasn't in Toronto. So <laughs> Okay, all right. And Boxing Day, This our, our producer, Matt Greer, was... was uh, a little unclear on Boxing Day. This is the day after Christmas. The, the day after Christmas. Happy birthday uh, to my colleague here. But uh, the day after Christmas is uh, uh, a few years ago. They started out selling uh, on and mainly in downtown Toronto and like the retail strip, and it's kind of yeah. caught on. And so it's 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 popular, but again, it's. Uh, not the same scale as I've seen at certain Black Friday sales. So then you're telling us that it's not really worth crossing the border for any deals that you can get up there. <laughs> no, and plus you're going to get hit with our, you know, our oversized sales tax too. So you know, Jim Gillies, have a safe trip back to Canada. Thank you kindly, Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.